Attention everyone, the unpleasant truths you're about to hear are not a mistake. The realest show on the planet. The views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect management or its sponsors. This is Willie D Live with your host, Willie D. Watts Prophets are a group of musicians and poets that originated in Watts, California. Like their contemporaries, the last poets, the group combined elements of jazz music and spoken word performances, making the trio one that is often seen as a forerunner of contemporary hip-hop music. Formed in 1967, the group comprised of Richard Dito, Father Amdi Hamilton, and Otis O'Sullivan. Solomon. Look here, man. This was in the wake of the Watts rise, to put this in proper context. And y'all know that America was in a very volatile state around that time. This is the turbulent 60s. This is a bunch of disrespect going on, racial tensions as high as they ever were, people put sicking dogs on human beings, blowing up churches assassinating our leaders, and out of the ashes come one of the most prolific uh, poetry uh, groups that has ever been assembled in the history of mankind. And I am not exaggerating. Y'all think I'm playing. Y'all go look it up. Get, get, go Google right now. Well, don't look it up right now because you won't want to finish watching, uh, checking out the show. But in your spare time, check it out. Look up. The Watts Prophets, and you'll see what I'm talking about. These guys, they paved the way. If not for them, there is no hip-hop, and we're going to explain in a minute. In the building right now, y'all, a huge salute to one of the originators, one of the pioneers, trailblazers, my man, one of the most honest dudes and profound guys I have ever met in my life. Father Amdi Hamilton. Welcome to Willie D's. Man, thank Live. you so much for having me because I always admired your work so much. Thank Just you, man. like you admire, I like the Watts Prophets, but I've always really loved your work. And being born in Houston, Texas, that yeah. really made me proud of you guys. Right. And the way you took hip hop right. and rap. Now, explain that, man, because. You know, we were talking the other day at, like, my surrogate father's house, John Smith. Mm -hmm, my brother. <laughs> and, yeah, your brother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your, your real brother. Um, and we were talking at his house, and you were explaining the origins, the true origins of hip-hop, because many people believe that hip-hop started, you know, with rappers, actually, you know, actual rappers. Explain that to me. You know, explain what you were telling me. Well, the me word to rap people. means to talk. And it was a colloquial word used by African Americans all over America. Right. Let me go rap to this sister. Uh, I got I to gotta rap to this guy. I'll be right back. Everybody used that word. But the poets took it and put it into an art form. In okay. particular, the last poets and the Watts Prophets. Mm -hmm. We made the first album called Rap. It was called Rapping Black in a White World by the Watts Prophets. 
That's where the music industry got the name for the genre, which became a new genre. There was no such a thing as rap. Okay. And so, you know, you had R&B, jazz, etc. But then you had rap music. So from our first album, Rapping Black in a White World, that's where the music industry got that name, rap music. And, and, and your, what was your earliest recollection of somebody actually using that word, uh, like in mainstream? The Watts Prophets. We were the first ones to use it. I mean, the size the last boys. You know, yeah, okay, so, so you guys used it first, and then, they, then the last boys used and then it basically just took off into a whole different genre. That's right, uh, but it was an ancient genre because this really right. started in Africa amongst the Jellies and the Griots. That's what they did. The Europeans had their poetry on paper, mm -hmm. and they would read it. But in Africa, it was all from memory. And so the Watts Prophets, who were after the riots, looking for an area of expression, because we were all balled up in Watts and Harlem, et cetera. We had no way to express ourselves. So the poets began to come out rapping, and it opened up an area of expression for us. Mm -hmm. So, so when it started getting, when, when the term rap started like making its way through uh, mainstream, you know, what was your, what was your reaction? Knowing that, hey, you know, hey, this is something that we actually started and now other people are taking off with it and profiting from it. Well, we was kind of shocked, you know, when we won our first talent show, uh, reading poetry off of paper and they had bands, singers, etc. And we were surprised how the people took to us doing poetry. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, reading it off a of paper, we didn't get off a of paper till we started working in clubs. We were like some of the first cats to take poetry into clubs. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the uh, John Daniels at a club called Mavericks Flat in Los Angeles, which was like the Apollo West. He told us, man, y'all can't be up here reading this stuff. He said, you got to memorize it. Mm -hmm. And that was, we began to memorize our poetry. And began, we took it from the page to the stage. We began to put different dynamics to it. We began to put music to it. But that really wasn't nothing new. Because Lewis Jordan and a lot of old cat jazz cats had been rapping on their records anyway. Mm -hmm. They had been, you know, using just, just, language rather than singing it. So it really wasn't nothing new, but it was quite a surprise to see how people uh, begin to respond to it. And uh, it, it was a surprise to us is all I can say. I uh, mean, but at, at some point, you know, it, it, it has to go from being a surprise to being like a, a, a little disrespectful when people ain't really paying homage. You know, like that's one of the big things that 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 I I appreciate about people when they pay homage. Uh, I always pay homage. Uh, it don't take anything away from me. I think th some people believe that when you pay homage, you take away from something, but it doesn't take anything away from me to pay homage. My thing is that you know most people are familiar with uh, the last poets. Yes, but not to the extent. Uh, People aren't uh, familiar with uh, Watts profits, and, and that's I mean that's that's gotta I gotta sting a little, you know what I mean? Because like y'all put the work in, you know y'all came out in 1967, 
and the last porch came out in 68, right? Mm -hmm. About okay. the same time, we were both in workshops. Right. We were, we okay. were in uh, Bud Schulberg's workshop called the Watts Writers Workshop, and they were in another workshop in New York. We didn't know each other. We had barely heard each other. We weren't copying each other. Right. It was just something that was organic. It just grew up in the black community. So how do you have that? How do you have? How do you have no uh, poetry to that extent? And then all of a sudden you have two like these these two like forces from the East Coast and the West Coast are in the studios around the same time. They don't know each other, but they're creating this new. Uh, wave of music that's about to basically uh, take over. Yes, well, you know, like I said, man, we didn't have no area of expression. That's why we exploded in Watts. That's why mm -hmm. they exploded in Harlem and Detroit. We didn't have no way to tell people what was happening to us. Mm -hmm. And that's what the, the Watts prophets and the last poets, we became the voice of the people, mm -hmm. basically the people from the ghettos of America. Because my poetry, I didn't learn my poetry from uh, in school or from any type of intellectuals. My poetry was basically uh, taken from the gambling house. The first poem I ever heard and learned was The Signified Monkey. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in the gambling house, dice be nice. Let me have two till Lou get through. You know, the, the, the little sayings right. that going on around the gambling table. Well, that's the first poetry that we heard. Including the last poets, Jalal, the most rhyming poet in the world. Mm -hmm. That's where he came from. Basically, toast, toasting, like, you know what I mean? Right. And so that's really where we came from. <clears throat> right. So, not everybody are unfamiliar. Well, I ain't gonna say not everybody, but uh, definitely uh, people in like hip hop and the hip hop world know who you guys are. I mean, y'all been sampled by Ice Cube. Uh, I know. I think Coolio sampled you guys. Every, it's a think, whole uh, bunch of people. We've been sampled yeah. since the late 80s. Right. Some of their early samples. Right. Now, did they break bread? Did the people, did, did, I know everybody couldn't have broke bread, especially like in the early 80s. Most you know, of them like wouldn't pay us. Most right. of them wouldn't. In fact, I, uh, rappers wouldn't be getting paid for poetry today if it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. When I first got sampled, people were telling me, because we didn't know what sampling was. And people started telling me that they were hearing my voice on the radio. And so finally, they brought me a sample. I think it was Paul Righteous Teachers, mm -hmm. one of those groups. And when they brought that to me, then I said, well, they should pay me. They're using my voice. And uh, I started calling lawyers. And most lawyers didn't understand it or didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. But finally, I ran into a lawyer that said, we will uh, pursue this. And uh, I ended up on the front page of the San Francisco Law Journal because we, the, they decided that without going to trial that they had to pay us because they didn't want to pay for poetry. They told right. us this is not a song. This mm -hmm. is just poetry. And so we don't pay for that. Well, so, yes, you do. You're using my voice. So they used some kind of California law. And I had an intellectual property lawyer, and he was able to get us paid. And that's why right. rappers are getting paid today. They don't really know that they didn't want to pay us at first. Right. Open the door. <laughs> Pioneers, man. Look, you had another interesting story about Bob Marley. You were talking about how 
you you met him. You met him. You were in what, what was that? Jamaica. Yes, I was, was around Safari in 1970. My That's whole family. We were some like some of the first ones on in the western part of the United States yeah. to bring Rastafari in. But when I went to Jamaica, I had an opportunity to meet Bob Marley, mm -hmm. and I happened to be in his studio one day, and I didn't know he was in the booth, and I was doing a poem, and for his crew, and when I finished the poem, I heard someone clap, and it was Bob Marley. Mm -hmm. And he came out and he said, hey, man, uh, uh, who are you, you know? And I, so I gave him a copy of our album and a copy of our book. And the next day he came back and he said, I want to record with you guys. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of our relationship. But we were both in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church together. Mm -hmm. I'm actually an Ethiopian Orthodox priest. Right. So that's, uh, and I was living with the bishop who lived next door to Bob Marley. That's how I got really involved with Bob Marley. And, uh, and the bishop was Bob Marley's confidant, right? That's right. Okay. Uh, Buna Yusak was his name. Right. And uh, so, uh, but this was about a year or so uh, before Bob died. And, you know, took I knew him about a couple of years. And, but finally, when we got a chance to start to record, Bob came to me one day and told me he was dying and that uh, he wasn't going to be able to record with us. So... Uh, the only thing I got a chance to do with him, I got a chance to do my poetry for his family over his body at his funeral mm -hmm. because he was. we were all in the same church together. And so during his service, the bishop and his family asked me what I'd do a poem. Mm -hmm. And I did the same poem that uh, I had done in the studio called Wisdom and Knowledge. Wow. Now, was that impromptu or was that something that they asked you prior to the service? No, no, yeah, they asked me prior to the okay. service would I do this poem, yes. Wow, wow. So, but we had become fairly good friends. He had come to Watts, and I was working with the Crips and the Bloods at that time. This is when they first started, and Bob wanted to this help This is when it, was, when it was about community building, not destruction. That's right. This is when the Crips and the Bloods had decided that they were, had went too far, mm -hmm. and they wanted to change their image. Okay. And so Bob and I, who were over the, the Ethiopian Orthodox Youth Association in the western part of the United States, the bishop had appointed us. Well, he came to Watts to give me a hand on working with the youth. So mm -hmm. we, were, we were really trying to work together and to do different things. Right. And hey. Bob wasn't too well known in the African-American community then. He also was trying to get his work off in the African-American. How old was he around that time? And how old were you? He died about 34. Well, I guess I was um, I was a little older than Bob. I guess I was 30-something, uh, in my early mm -hmm. 30s. Right. Because yeah, Bob's been dead about 30 years now, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I was a very, I was a youngster in this poetry game. Right. Well, y'all just got dropped a gem right there. That's, some, that's something that I didn't know. And... Wow, that, that had to be something to be actually like uh, to, to not just have a relationship with him, but to actually like be able to speak at his funeral. I don't know if I could have held it together for a friend like that. Yes, but it was just such a wonderful thing. It was music all the way. I'd never seen a funeral like this. Mm -hmm. The whole country came out, man. Yeah. And we drove for five and a half hours going up this hill to where Bob was buried. 
and all along the road, all the way on both sides of the street, were people singing and dancing to his music. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we arrived at the place where he was buried, which was right next to his tomb, it's next to the house that he was born in. Mm -hmm. And when we arrived there, there was like a mountain of people. I had never seen anything like this and saw such love for an individual as the funeral of Bob Marley. Yeah. So, so what, what is, you know, what is the Watts Prophets? If you have to like say, oh, this is what we're about. What is the Watts Prophets about? I told the people that, you know, yeah, you, you know, the kind of music you made, you made, you, you infused, you know, uh, jazz, you know, with, uh, um, you know, with, um, uh, you know, you also, you know what, another thing that you did also, you brought, you know, you brought civil rights to the table. Because everything, it wasn't just about the music. It, it was, what was, in your mind, what was most important? Was it the words or was it the music? The most important thing was the truth, Willie B. That's what a real poet is in pursuit of. And, not and I, and not and his I, truth. And I read, I read a quote from you when you were talking about the truth. You said that uh, that was something going on with like, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't give you, you guys were having trouble getting a record deal because of your content, because your, your content was too strong. It, it, it wasn't palatable we made know, for, for mainstream activities. America. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you, you made a quote where you stated that I thought I could get paid telling the truth. I thought I could make a living telling the truth. That's right. You absolutely that was your quote. been reading about it. Yes. Yeah. I th we thought that we could tell the truth and make a living. Wow. Out of it, but we Damn. found out that they're kidding. You know, there's really <laughs> no real no freedom of speech when it comes to making money. You have to be in tune with what the industry wants. Wow. And Damn. mostly our poetry was directed at African-Americans. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we talked about white folks and stuff like that, but basically we were talking to each other. Right. We were trying to tell our people what their problems was, okay. what we needed to do to pull out of this. And we were in pursuit of, as of all poets are, a universal truth, not a truth that just was our truth. We wanted to be a universal truth, and that's what the Watts Prophets was in pursuit of. Yeah. All our people would tell us to change our content, change our name, uh, but we, we never would. We uh, never made a lot of money. We uh, ended up in our last 20 years of uh, teaching and doing uh, residencies at universities all across America and teaching teachers our process of teaching. See, that's what pissed me off, man, about that. To me, that's the thing that's pathetic about fans in my mind. You know, fans get to criticize, so uh, we, you know, as artists, we get to criticize too. You know, a lot of fans say they want the truth. They want to keep it real. Everybody talk about keep it real, keep it real. But when you keep it real, you tell the truth. Oftentimes, you don't get the support. They will go and support somebody else. They'll go support somebody doing something stupid, saying, oh, I ain't saying nothing, doing mindless music or doing mindless, uh, just anything, uh, rather than support somebody, you know, who would not only tell the truth, be honest, be candid, but also put their lives on the line. Because what you guys did, not just their life, but their freedom also, you guys, you know, y'all attracted the attention of the FBI. I want to talk about that when we come back. 
You're checking out Willie D Live. What song was it in particular uh, uh, that made the, the popos come after y'all? What, well, what statement did you guys make? <laughs> uh, we were the first one to talk about the police. Right. Hot rod policemen sipping through the ghetto streets and dead mobiles, trampling niggas, killing babies, beating sisters, miscarriages, killing us whenever they want to. Scared, scared, scared. Surrounded by guns in worse shape than South Africa. Brothers, we better get hip and come off this strip. Warriors come forth and lead our people to freedom like Nat Turner meant to do. With an underground arsenal of terror on those and anything in the way of our freedom. You can't say things like that. Right. See, see, the thing is, is what's wrong with having an underground arsenal, arsenal of terror for those who jeopardize your freedom? I mean, well, that's, that's what that's what America feel. is about, right? But that's the way we feel. But I'm we, saying that's we wanted to fight back. That is what America is about. That's what we Every, America is about. I, look, man, I got homies who are full-blooded, white, patriot, America, greatest country on earth. Got my pistol. I like to hunt, and they'll blow your head off That's for that freedom. You know they'll blow their head off. So what's wrong with give me it? liberty and give me death? Exactly. They'll sit, tell you in a heartbeat. That's the way. We but when, but, when, but, but, but if a black person feel that way, it's a violation. That's right. I don't. I don't understand it. Well, I guess I. I, I guess I, I understand the reason why they do it. It's all about control. You know. Keeping That's their, right. Keeping their feet on some, you know, uh, keeping their feet on your neck in oppression. I get, I get it, but I get it, but I ain't gonna get it if you understand where I'm coming from. That's right. They would rather for us to march, yeah, than to talk about that type of action. That's why they gave Martin Luther King a holiday. That's and, right. But and he, he was a great person, yeah. and he tried his own way. But when he came to Watts, we told him to get out of there. Yeah. And we didn't want Martin Luther. We wanted Malcolm. We wanted Malcolm X. Let, right. let me tell you something. I grew up like that, you know. I'm, and I and I gotta say this, man. When I, growing up, I hated Martin Luther King. I mean, I, I really did. I I did not just didn't like him. I hated Martin Luther King because I thought Martin Luther King was a coward. You know, I was like, I'm Malcolm X. I'm like by any means necessary. You know, you put your hands on me. I'm going to send you to the cemetery. And that's pretty much still my mentality. But later in life, I learned to appreciate any man that, put his life that will put his life on the line. Me too. I, I had to appreciate that. He was a great man. warrior. I had to appreciate that. He was. He was. We he, had to learn that. I had to learn like you did with <laughs> yeah. that he was a great warrior yeah. and to be honored. Because he was a warrior in a different kind of way. Yeah. Malcolm was, but they were all trying to get to the same place. And we don't all have to do the same thing to get there. That's right. Some people can march. You know, some people can boycott. Some can organize. Some can, can do poetry. That's some right. can rap. Sing. Some can inspire some can people. Ins That's right. Some can be a bomb. Some can detonate the bomb. Whatever it takes, man, for liberty. You know what I'm saying? I think you can do, you know, it, it's not, some can donate money. It's not just one thing. Some can say, okay, it's time for calmness. Let's calm down, y'all. You know, That's I feel right. the same way. I feel the same way as you We do. would have gotten slaughtered had it not been for Dr. King holding mm -hmm. some of us down. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about violence, and Dr. King was holding us down. 
He was saying, but, oh, we're going to get slaughtered if we take this path. But, but, hasn't, but here's the thing, though. But hasn't revolution always included bloodshed? Yes, it has. Like, so how do we, how do we ever really gain our, our footing in America and get, get, gain our respect and get these police off our asses if we're not willing to sacrifice in blood? Well, I think that that's a part of it, but we have to look at ourselves. We have, if you remember the last few days of Malcolm's life and the last few days of Dr. King's life, they talked about economic development, right. how much money was going through our hands, okay. how much money we spent on wigs and shoes and clothes and cars, and all of this money would come in the black community on Friday night and be gone by Monday morning. What was we doing? Did it take that long? Monday? That's, that seemed like a stretch. You probably went that evening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they began right. to talk about different ways. They were searching for different ways for us to develop. And, uh, and, and like I say, Dr. King, that speech that you hear about the dream, you have to hear the beginning of that speech when he talked about America had given us a check that had bounced. Mm-hmm. And had insufficient, insufficient funds. funds. Exactly. That's what he would be. So he, the, 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 the tactics were beginning to change. Mm-hmm. And when they saw the tactics was changing from marching to this type of activity, right. they didn't live very long, neither one of them. Right. So <clears throat> did, you, did you ever get a chance to meet Dr. King? Or, or, when he came to Watts, we ran him out of there. Okay. Him and Dick Gregory. Did, did you ever meet Malcolm? I saw Malcolm speak, but I, you know, one of my friends got killed at the Temple yeah. of Stokes in Los Angeles, and they sent Malcolm, and that's where he said the chickens come home to roost. Yeah. And Elijah Mohammed then um, put him under suspension of something where he couldn't talk. Yeah, because Malcolm was murdered in what '67? Was that '60? February twenty-first, nineteen sixty-five. Wasn't it? Was that '65? I'm not sure. I think yeah. it was '65. Yeah, I get, I get the dates mixed up. They was knocking our leaders off left and right. Yes, they know, so, were. I, so I get those 60s. That's, what, that's why we got a bunch of cowards 67, now. 68, you know. That's why yeah. we got a bunch of cowards now because yeah. they saw all of our leaders knocked off. Mm-hmm. And so now we have very little leadership, right. very little bold leadership, like Malcolm or like Dr. King, who would put their lives. But you see, when you put your life on the line, you also put your family's life on the line. Okay. Everything that bad that happened to the Watts prophets and to the last poets, it was also our families was involved. Our mm-hmm. children were in danger. Our children were uh, ostracized and, and pushed to the side. Whatever they were doing to us, they were doing it to our whole family, not just to us. Right. Let's, let's talk about the other members in the group. Uh, Otis Solomon yeah. and, and, and Anthony... Uh, Dito. Yes. Now, D, uh, Anthony Dito, R.I.P., uh, he died in 2013 yes. Yes. Uh, of cancer. So, and he was one of the most, I would think, probably the most colorful guy in the group. Uh, I call him the blackest Creole. <laughs> everything I, I know about him, you know what I'm saying? Like, everything I heard about this guy, you know, read about him, heard about him. You know, he seemed like he was the most feisty dude in the group. You know, I heard he had, had, had approached... Uh, who was that? Uh, uh, um, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali and, and challenged Muhammad Ali to a, poet, a poetry. What would you call that if you're battling poetry? What do you call it? Yeah, well, here's what happened. 
we were at a big rally, mm-hmm. and uh, we saw Muhammad Ali. We were sitting in, behind stage. Muhammad Ali was the keynote speaker, and the Watts Prophets were the poets for that day. Okay. So we were sitting behind stage, and they had two circles of guards around us, a okay. circle around one circle, and then another circle of guards around that circle. Mm-hmm. So we saw Muhammad Ali uh, hunch his brother. We were all sitting in a little crowd. And Muhammad hunched his brother like this, and he said, we're alone. So we didn't know what he meant. We just all sitting in this little bunch with all these guards around us. So he told his brother, he said, watch this. He said, bring me a hamburger. So a few minutes later, they brought him a hamburger and a little bag. He took that hamburger. He took that hamburger and he set it between his legs and he sat there for a few minutes. Then he eased that hamburger out and set it on the ground right side of him. And then he sat there for a few minutes and then he bent over and he blew that bag up. And then he said, "Watch this." <laughs> and he popped that bag. And that security went every way, which way, but towards us. Exactly. And that's his brother. He said, I told you we was alone. He right. checked his security with a paper bag. Mm-hmm. But after that, we were on our way to the Hilton Hotel, and we were walking through the lobby. And so I was teasing Richard about, you know, he talking about he's the greatest poet. And so Richard tapped him on his shoulder. He say, Mohammed. And he said, man, you know, he said, you are the greatest boxer in the world. He said, but you're not the greatest poet. Mm-hmm. The wise prophets are the greatest poets. And Mohammed turned around and said, what did you say, Richard? Say, you heard what I said, <laughs> man. We the greatest poets, not you. And so Mohammed said, he stopped us right there and he put us like in a little football huddle. He said, let's do some poetry right now. Right, he stopped all, I'm quite sure there's pictures of this in Los Angeles. And he grabbed us in like a little football huddle and we say, go ahead, man, you go first. So he went first and he did his little poem. And as soon as he finished, we popped into a medley of poetry. Mm-hmm. Richard did a little something. I did a little something. And Otis did a little something. And he looked at us and he stood back. And some other poets tried to jump in. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, these are the greatest. And that was just a little experience we had with, with uh, Mohammed Ali. That's a hell of a story. <laughs> <laughs> did, did y'all, now did you, you guys ever uh, come across, did y'all ever cross paths with Ali after that? Yes, and different, different, different right. things. He'd come to Los Angeles. He always knew us and he right. always respected us. And yes, he was quite a guy. Right. Man, that's interesting. So let me, let, let's, let's go back a little. Like, so how did you guys, like, form? Like, how did, how did you guys even meet? You know, like, how did you and Richard and Otis meet? We were working, we were all in this Watts Writers Workshop. This Jewish gentleman by the name of Bud Schuberg had come to Watts right after the riots, even almost before the fires had been completely put out. And he wanted to do, he was, his father was head of, a, I think, RKO. He had wrote the, the, the film On the Waterfront, which had won a bunch of Emmys. And so he decided he wanted to do something. And he started the Watts Writers Workshop. And we all became a part of this workshop. And there was so many poets in this workshop till they be, and people were requesting us. And so us three, Richard and Otis and myself, uh, we seemed to always be together. Mm-hmm. And that's when we uh, 
be decided, you know, that we were going to begin to read. And Richard was already an actor and into drama. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, gave us a lot of our staging and how we should do our poetry, et cetera. And uh, we all met in this workshop at different times. Otis had read about me uh, from one of the guys had wrote and written an article about me. And Otis found that article before. That's how he kind of got at the Watts Writers Workshop. He found that article and he started coming around the workshop asking for me. And then, as I say, we started to go out together. And how we got our name, we didn't call ourselves the Watts Prophets. We didn't take that name. Mm -hmm. We weren't that arrogant or egotistical. How we got the name was we were at a place called Inner City Cultural Center at a talent show. And um, so we was calling ourselves something like Watts Fire or something like that. So uh, they called us and they said, what is your name? And so uh, we said, we looked at each other and we said, uh, Watts Fire, Watts something. And a girl hollered from the audience, no, no, you're more than that. You are the Watts Prophets. And that's mm -hmm. how we got the name, the Watts Prophets. And that's how our name stuck. And for years, people would tell us, just get rid of that name. Just get rid of that name, man. Y'all will get what, over What part of the name? Prophets or Watts? Watts Prophets. It's just just that, 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 that stigma of Watts. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, saying you a prophet. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, I guess, you know. Yeah, I can see religious people getting that's offended That's right. We that. went to towns. So, uh and I remember in uh, South Carolina, um, the preachers told none of the people to come to our show in the town because they were <laughs> well, you know, preachers, man. false prophets. <laughs> they said we, we was false prophets and we cursed. Right. But we didn't curse. Right. We did very, very little cursing if you listen to our work. Mm -hmm. um, we were just able to be hard without cursing. Yeah. You, know? you know, an artist thinks it's always him. But it's, it, Quincy Jones told me this a long time ago. It's the song that makes the singer, not the singer that makes the song. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can remember uh, everything must change, but I can't remember who did it. And first huh. of all, people don't come and say, I want Willie D. They say, give me that CD that you did, Willie. Mm -hmm. That's what they want. They don't want Willie D. They right. don't want the artist. Yeah. They want his content. Yeah, so that's what all the ladies was doing all these years. They didn't want me. That's right. They wanted my music. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, I tell you, man. That's cold-blooded. But, you know, you said ladies. They might have wanted yeah. you, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, they definitely got me. <laughs> uh, yeah, another, another story. Now, listen here. So explain to me how you were talking. We were talking, having a conversation the other day, and you were talking about how drums control behavior and how the drums is really like the essence of, of music. And, and when people take out the drummer, uh, you're basically taking out the soul of, of the composition. When you're talking about black music and you take the drummer out, you you know, you remember doing slavery, if you know history, that they barred the drum. Mm -hmm. Well, this is kind of the second time in history that they barred the drum amongst African-Americans. Mm -hmm. If uh, and the first thing they did when hip hop and was taken over by corporate America, that's who owns hip hop. We think we own it, but we don't own hip hop. We don't have no record company. We don't uh, say well, who gets signed and who don't get signed. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> the first thing they did was remove the poets. 
because poets are kind of hard to control and they're in pursuit of truth. Right. And so they had a thing amongst the poets called rap. So first thing they did was remove those cats and bring change the name from poets to DJs and MCs. Mm-hmm. And they put this in this bag called hip hop. The next thing they did was come along and, and remove the musicians and replace them with a technician. Now, both of these things control behavior. That drum machine, we don't know just how the science that's behind the drum machine. The average rapper don't. It's just a drum machine with beats. So they put this in that this bag called hip hop. Then they moved to, to the next thing. Uh, they took our black art. And they all of this they put in a bag called hip hop. Which remember, when hip hop came along, black culture was growing. But suddenly we got a new culture called hip hop. And the youngsters, by the way, think that's new. But uh, when my mother and them left Houston, Texas in 1944, they were doing the Texas hop. And yeah, explain that. Explain every, that. Every, 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 dance, yeah. every dance that we went to in California, I don't know about in Texas, mm-hmm. but it was called a hop. Was it that, John, here? Yeah. It was called a hop. Okay. Okay. And the word hip was a 40s and 50s word. We put hip on everything that was hip. This show is a hip microphone. That show is a hip camera. This show is a hip book. This is a hip drink. We put hip on everything that we thought was hip. So on many days in the 50s, me and my lady walked out of a hop and turned to each other and said, baby, that show was a hip hop. Wow. But the kids today think this is all new, just like the word rap. The average one of them doesn't know it means talk. Right. So anyway, so the industry created this bag called hip hop with this new culture that's replacing black culture that was growing during this time. And uh, they begin to put these elements in the bag. They took the poets, thing, rap. They took the drummer. They took the musician. Uh, then, then they took our black dance and they changed his name from black dance to... Uh, uh, break dancing. So, so you don't think none of this stuff was by happenstance? You think this was all by design? I know it was by design. I watched this development, mm-hmm. and and uh, then they took black art and called it graffiti art, and they put all this in this bag called hip hop, and then they came along. Now I think that we, you know, I'm not taking anything from the black artists and the black youth. This mm-hmm. is not an attack on them. This is what happened to us. It's, it's called social engineering. And uh, we still did some hip things with it. I'm not saying that we didn't do some hip things with hip hop because you can give us a tub, a string, and a stick, and we'll make some hip music for you. So anyway, they created this genre. And what they were creating this genre for and to control this genre was for the development of the prison industrial complex. Mm-hmm. It had, when you had, when prisons became private, any business like you got right here has to have a business plan on how you're gonna get customers. Right. Well, hip hop was one of the elements that this country used. Prison, in, not the, the, the industry, not us, the music industry used 
to make sure that these prisons stay full because they begin to corrupt us. They started cursing. They hip hop spread it gang banging straight across America. It's not the only thing that did this, mm-hmm. Bully D, but it's one of the major elements mm-hmm. that did. Excuse me, y'all. I got a phone call. But it's one of the major elements that did that, mm-hmm. and uh, 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 it, it was used to corrupt our youth. Everybody knows that Snoop is blue, and Game is red. Every, the, the average adult doesn't, but the kids knew. Mm-hmm. But the kids knew what it was. Um, and it was used to, we started cursing. We, we started calling our woman bees and whores and lot lizards. We used to call her queen and lovely and beautiful. That was, that was our word. We dressed. We were some of the best dressers in, in the world. Everybody talked about the dressing of the African-American. But suddenly, we were rocking around. If you remember the first group that uh, came out that was major was Run DMC. If you remember Run DMC, they had their shoes untied and the tongues of their shoes hanging out. What was the first thing your mother taught you? Tie Tie your shoes, Willie D. Mm -hmm. So... And increments, they begin to separate us from our culture and our tradition and to literally put our youth in uniform so that they could be recognized a mile away. We start with the shoes untied, which is a jailhouse element. The first time, first thing you go to school, jail, the first thing they do is take your shoestrings and your belt. The next thing they do is give you some oversized clothes. You don't get up to walk up and take your pants and say, I need a number 27, I need a 30 waist. You take what they give you. Mm-hmm. That's where sagging came from. Yeah, they just look at your size, you know what I'm that, That's right. Yeah. Then the next thing, we move on up to the chain on the neck. We move on up to the tattoos in the face. We move up to the tattoos. These are all jailhouse elements. Mm-hmm. We move up to the tattoos all over our arms. And then the next thing was the hat turned sideways or backwards which made the authorities be able to recognize you from a mile away. Look, his hat's turned sideways and backwards. Pull him over, I bet you he got some weed in his pocket. He's one of those hip hoppers. So it made us, they literally put our youth in uniform. We mm-hmm. did stop dressing and, uh, it, and it kept the prison industrial complex full because hip hop began to tell us to shoot each other kill each other, etc. We had some positive cats. Our youth tried, but they didn't know mm-hmm. that they were being socially engineered into a very corrupt image of the African American, which is spread all across this world. Because black youth are the most influential youth on the face of this earth. Whatever you all do, your image You'll see them doing it in Africa. You'll see them doing it in Asia. You'll see them doing it in the white community. Whatever black youth do, they're the most influential. And whoever was socially engineering this, they knew this. And that image that we got from hip-hop, not saying that uh, hip-hop wasn't hip, because we'll always make it hip some kind of way for us. But we don't have any control of what beat. When the record companies say, no, Willie D., we're not going to put that one out. We're going to put this one out. We don't want that political one in Willie D. 
We want the one that says MF. All the rappers are under control. They're not controlling their careers. Not if they're assigned to a major record company. Somebody else is saying what's released and what ain't released. Well, thankfully, you know, I was I was signed to a label, Rap A Lot Records, who allowed us to be who we wanted to be. So we made the kind of music that we wanted to make and you know, we made that we made, we did make some That's you know, why our main thing is that you know records. is that we you know, our main thing was to be socially astute. You know, we wanted to make sure that we got the message out. We let people know what was going on, especially with these dirty ass police and these government tricks. We were the play. same thing. You know, that was our main that was our main message. But we did use some color phrases. That's I, right. I gotta say that. That's but uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, you made in the house right now. like it was something that we all did. Yeah, but we a, don't. Yeah, I did, I did, I did, and I still do. You're checking out Willie D Live. Hip hop played a, a vital role in uh, the game, the social engineering game that the government's played, and people that are in the music industry. Because you got some evil people in the music industry too. Uh, they, they're, they're all in, they're all industrial complex. You know, world. people in the music industry, businessmen, government officials. You know, all of them. They all run together. They all run in the same circles. So, and, and you're saying that that their primary goal was to keep the prisons filled. That's right, and corrupt our youth. See, our music filled with black people. That's right, black our, and brown. Our people. music used to be medicine. Mm-hmm. Not poison. Right. It always inspired us to have respect. It always it inspired our it people, did. all the way from jazz, gospel. That's right. It was always inspiring. Right. Not saying, go shoot this right. cat. Shooting guns. He, he was the first one to shoot a gun on the record and stuff like that there. And Easy used to tell us how all of them would get together and they would listen to the Watts Prophets and then they would start singing. But they had been told that if the Marat's profits went right, make sure you go left. Well, you know, I, I, but I don't, I don't know if they went left, you know, because they, they, they basically was just a, in my mind, you know, NWA was like, like a foul mouth version of, of, of the watch, you know, the watch profits, you know, like they just ain't give a fuck, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like that, that's the way I saw it, you know, like. Uh, you know, I guess there were a few songs, you know what I'm saying, that that, that were kind of like, you know, like all for, but... Well, he tried but, to straddle a line like like Tupac did. Yeah. He tried to be in and out at the same time, but you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You got to be one or the other. But isn't life a contradiction? It can be, but not in this here. You, you got to be one or the other. Right. Either you, you, you are on a positive tip are you on a negative tip? But it's the diabolical things that the record industry is doing. Like right now, this conscious rap mood movement. What do you mean, conscious rap? You're going to make consciousness a category in music now? Right. Consciousness is no category in music. Consciousness is consciousness, period. So, so, can, so can the damage that's been done, can it be reversed? Yes. Okay. Yes. And how, how do we do that? Well, you look at little T.I. who's putting his life on the line right now. Mm-hmm. He's in a, putting himself in a very dangerous position. I'm kind of, I'm sampled on his latest album. The poem Pain came from my poem Pain, a little for some and a whole lot for others. Complete crushing for those who understand, don't understand. 
that pain is a part of man and do you must be crushed. Well, he's the way he's talking now, and he kind of knows it. I heard some parts that he's talked about. He knows he's putting himself out there. Mm-hmm. But uh, and so so <clears throat> you know they're trying to make it you know like Kendrick Lamar from Compton. They're they're trying to make consciousness a genre. Consciousness is not a genre. Consciousness is consciousness. And we all should be conscious of what's going on with us, whether we listen to hip hop or not. And it's not a category in a record company. Hmm. Man, why aren't poets compensated better? Like, let me tell you something, man. Some of the most brilliant people I know are poets. I mean, just good, great soul people. They are entertaining. I, I don't, I mean, I. All of the real good ones that I know, the great ones that I know, will leave you breathless after you hear what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, where is the bread? Where is the paper for that? Because Poets they, have never gotten paid. Why? Because they are in pursuit of the truth. The truth is not always tasteful to everybody. Everybody don't want to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. You got a booger in your nose. You don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. You, you understand what I mean? Yeah, you check yourself. Yeah. Why, why did he say that, man? In front of these girls and all that. The mm. truth is not always. Uh, uh, it's always fresh. Mm-hmm. Truth don't spoil. It's always fresh. But um, you know, everybody don't want to hear it. And for ages, poets have had a hard time. Not in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it was a tradition of the people, the jelly to keep the tradition, the culture, and the history of the people. That was a poet's place in society. Uh, during the, some of the empires, the Malian Empire and stuff, when the tribes would fight and they would make a treaty, the treaty wasn't a piece of paper that you wrote down that this is a treaty. The treaty was a song made by the poets that all the people would sing. Mm -hmm. That was the treaty. Uh, So poets are very dangerous to a society because they will point out the inadequacies of that society. They'll point out the lies of that society at their own detriment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they wake people up because they're in pursuit of a universal truth. That's all a poet is. And I hear a lot of people say they're poets, uh, but um, uh, uh, to be a poet, your poetry has to live in the library of people's souls. That's what make a poet. Mm-hmm. Not what's saying you're a poet, but it's when your poetry, when people walk up to you and tell you about your songs, that's what make you a poet. Because that's that poem that you wrote, you may call it a song, it's living in the soul, their library of their souls and the libraries of their minds. They can't get it out. When we do poetry reading, sometimes people come up and say, I can't get that line out of my mind. It just keeps going on and on and on. Yes, everybody has a poem in them, but everybody's not a poet. Your poetry says if you're a poet or not, not you. That's strong, and man, I hate to follow this up with this this comment, man. But there's sometimes things go in my mind, man. I don't know where they come from. But I got to get them out. 
I don't either. I don't know where it's headed. I'm not that hip. I don't know where it's coming from. But when you said that these, you're, 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 these things get in your mind and you can't get them out, I thought about it and I was like, you know, sometimes I'm on social media, man, and we're talking about real serious issues. It could be something very, very serious. Say, for instance, like, um, I don't know, maybe some black person who's doing a little cooning. And let's say if it's somebody like maybe Stacy Dash, I remember this guy making a comment like, yeah, man, she a coon, but I still fuck her. Mm-hmm. No, like, it can't get the booty out of their mind. You know, like, we're talking about, like, like trying to progress as a people and trying to go forward. And, you know, you, you can't, I mean, some, these certain people, they... Media is very powerful, brother. You know, these earphones on our ears, the tones and levels that they use. If I can keep these earphones on your ear long enough at certain decimals and certain levels, I can put anything I want to into your sight. Mm-hmm. Remember all these big loud speakers and cars and stuff. I can put, you, you ever watch, you know, the basic hip hop song when it comes on, everybody's heads do this. Well, well, they used man, to do if that. I can make you do that every time I turn a song on, I can make you kick somebody, too. Yeah. Okay, it's control. They used to do, they used to do this. Now they going. Yeah, it's one or the other. That There you go. I mean, you understand. You see what I'm saying? It has a, uh, it's a, there's a control. They're using, they're using science on us now. Yeah. That's yeah. what's being used on us to control and to dump into our psyche whatever they wish to dump. And it's being done to naive youth. So with the record label having all of the power, how do an artist, put it like this, if, if, if the artist, is, that's probably not even possible. The artist is not going to decide, I don't want that money. You know, it's like, well, the wise well, prophets did. A youngster told me what you fixing to tell me not long ago. He yeah. said, "What? What if your uh, uh, family was hungry and you was homeless, uh, and somebody came and offered you fifty thousand dollars to corrupt the people with your music? Wouldn't you take it? No, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't destroy all of my people for fifty thousand dollars." For no amount of money would I destroy all my people. Right. I might go steal something. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? I do right. what I got to do, but I'm not going to destroy all my people for some money. The Watts Prophets had those opportunities. Mm-hmm. We were offered money. We were offered prestige. We were offered to get out there, but they knew we was going to do our own thing. You were not going to make us do what you wanted us to do. It was our story, not your story. So no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sell all my people just because I was hungry. Mm-hmm. Do Do you believe in the concept that evil people run America, run yes, the world? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And that's why we can't. That's why it's not going to get better. Well, it can't. It, you know, the thing is, is that, and and I'm saying, and I hear you saying that you know you wouldn't do. I wouldn't do it. It's other people that's not going to sell out. That's right. Sell out yeah, but the people. people who will. But there's always people who will. That's and, and it seems like it's always a majority that will. That that will. So 
in that case, and you got people, you got evil people that's running the world and sitting back socially engineering and pulling all the strings and stuff, you know. I mean, I think it's safe to say that it ain't going to change. It can't. Well, I have a poem that's coming out there doing a, uh, a thing. It's on there, I think. It's called Too Corrupt to Clean Up. Mm-hmm. Can you put the natural resources back and retract the reaction of Mother Nature? Or will the spirit of the massacres you return and forgive them? You think the air feels that it's fair that there's no room for the air? Only pollution has its place in this place of disgrace. Hide your face in shame if the unjust ways of Babylon infect your brain. It ain't no good, must be overstood. Those who embrace this disgrace to the human race will face horror and pain from the burning earth and all the illusions they thought of worth shall no longer exist on this here earth. Because it's too corrupt to clean up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, talking about Congress right now. Are we talking about Congress? Are we talking about? I'm talking about all of them. All of them. All of them. Too corrupt to clean up, man. Man, man, man. It's Boy, a I video think. coming out on it now. So, one, so one of the little groups in Watts OF TV operating from the bottom. They, they just, they want to do. They're doing videos on my work now. Okay. And this is some of your, this is the latest work, right? Yeah. Okay. And this is, uh, uh, technical dif- difficulties, technical difficulties, technical. And he spelled difficulties, uh, a little unusual. Y'all look it up. You'll, you'll be able to just Google it, you know, Google it, finish it for you. Oh, you know what? Think mentioning Google, uh, thinking for you. You had a, a poem I heard the other day where you was talking about the internet how all this technology I hear people say each and every day that the internet will set modern man free like a dolphin in the sea now this statement completely confused me since when my friends has a net set anything free now my simpleness I regret but where's the freedom in a net fishermen make nets spiders weave webs both are traps the spider knows all in its web. He keeps it inside day or night, wrapped real tight with a click and a bite. Is it online, in line, download, unload? Where's the freedom in a net? Still traps in your laps, net, zero, hero, sky, tail, in, tail, DSL, email, tail, tail, tail. Processing your personal soul for info, no telling where it go. Only the net maker really knows. Now, you used to be able to shred it, but now that's jive. The hard drive is always alive. Wrap real tight with a click and a bite. Spider-Man can pull you up tonight. Free man freely entering a net will one day experience regret because there's no freedom in a net. Fishermen control their nets. Spiders control their webs. Who, my friend, controls the world wide web? You're in. What spider has you in its website? Wrap real tight with a click and a bite. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm the Hamilton. Man, Father, I'm the Hamilton, I may add. You know, that's, I, I, I like that. Now, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a little preaching myself, man. You know, you would make a great I, I'm, I'm thinking about it. But no, I'm going in for the business part, man. I'm give me a church, man, make some money, man, because everybody else doing it. Man. Well, I've seen that. Nah, I ain't gonna do it. Well, I, we have a poem about that. 
Like Richard Brody says, I went to church today. And you laugh because my clothes were a little worn and torn and different. Oh, what a fool you were. You never noticed. I was wearing my best smile. Huh. <laughs> there it is. And this is the this is the new work, y'all. Um, can, you, can you zoom in right there? Catch that. Difficulties technical. It's a little reverse engineering there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was done by a very great artist, Michael Messenberg. Yeah, nice. Great cat. Nice. Y'all make sure y'all go out and get that. Uh, and it's available in hard copy. Yeah. And is it, is it also available on iTunes and yes, all that type I'm of stuff? I'm sure it is. So y'all make sure y'all support that. Support real poetry. Now, now y'all see where I get my information from. Let me tell you something, man. You know, without cats like 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 Omdi who came before me that that laid laid the foundation, man. I, man, I don't I have no direction. That's what y'all don't understand. I have no I don't even know I know where to start. I don't know where to start. And this is why this is why it's, it's so important to me to uh, pay homage to my elders and respect the elders, respect the ones that, that, that came before me, especially the ones who have made sacrifices. Now, some people just come and they get, get what's for them and, and theirs, and then they're gone, and they're not really concerned about the people. But, you know, to be in the presence of guys like this, uh, you know, hey, man, it... it it just it just overwhelms me, and I really really appreciate you, man. I'm gonna tell you on behalf of myself, and rappers everywhere, poets everywhere, as you like to say, mm-hmm. man. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you've done for the culture. Well, thank you for continuing that tradition, culture, and history, mm-hmm. and for respecting your elders, because young and old go together like the seasons of the weather. While young folks, old folks have knowledge you mustn't miss, and without them, you wouldn't even exist. Exactly, exactly. Now, where can the people uh, find you? Uh, you know, um, where can you find They want to get in at? touch with you. I ain't saying, I ain't saying show uh, up at I'm your door. The, I'm the poet at suddenlink.net. That's my email. Right. And right. you can catch me right then. Let me know what you want, what you want to do. And exactly. I'll be, I, I'm the poet, one word, A-M-D-P-O-E-T, at suddenlink, S-U-D-D-E-N-L-I-N-K. Yeah, and ain't gonna be no cooperating, collaborating, and celebrating unless you come off some cash. We trying to get this bread up, man. So if y'all want to do some business, you know, you got your money ready, hit my man up, man. Don't be bashful with that bread, man. This, hey, man, like my boy Al say, W-A-E, we all eat. You dig? That's what's up, y'all. Thank you once again, man, for coming on the show. Thank you, man, for having me. All right, y'all. Well, it's been a pleasure. It's been a thrill to let you know how I feel. Some may grit and pitch a fit, but to watch on my wrist say that's all you're going to get. Until next time, y'all be good. If you can't be good, be great. No more talk. Teach.